0: Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, The Baby Chick, and today I'm here with Megan McAllister, a wife, mother, and one of my former birth doula clients. We're here doling out no nonsense pregnancy and parenting advice. As a baby planner, doula, newborn care specialist, and educator, I've worked with hundreds of families and have condensed all that I've learned to bring you simple, practical, and immediate advice for preventing parenting conundrums. Megan is a mother of four surviving children, ages eight, six, three, and one. She is passionate about her personal experience with neonatal loss and her three subsequent VBACs, vaginal births after cesarean. Originally from Texas, her family now lives in Portland, Oregon. You may not know this, but October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, and October 15th is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day. There are so many families that experience these heartbreaking losses. In fact, Megan and her husband are one of those families, and I am beyond honored that Megan is here with me today on Chick Chat, sharing her story of infant loss and what families can do to heal after experiencing such a devastating loss to their family. I hope that today's episode gives hope and comfort to any families out there who have experienced or are experiencing these tragic journeys. Hi, Megan. Hi, Nina. Okay, I'm going to warn anyone who's listening right now. Megan is one of those clients that has become a friend. And she has taken a piece of my heart. And anytime I talk to her, I will we'll probably boohoo later because she really impacted my life in such an amazing way. And I'm excited for anyone who's listening just to even get to listen to Megan because, oh my gosh, she's just wonderful. You're wonderful. So thank you so much for being on this episode with me today,
1: it's mutual admiration, Nina. You know, I love you, and I'm here to cry with you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'm not the only one boohooing. That makes me feel so much better.
0: No, never. Megan, there is literally no one else that I would rather have this conversation with since it is October, and October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. I really would love it if you would feel comfortable enough to address this sensitive yet important topic. And if you wouldn't mind, would you be able to share with us you know, your family story about your first daughter, Madeline?
1: Absolutely. I found out I was pregnant in October 2010, and it was my first pregnancy. Of course, you know, you see that positive test. I called my ob just right away. And his policy was to get patients in as soon as possible. And rather than do a blood draw, he did an ultrasound, not the abdominal, but the transverse. <laughs> transvaginal, yep. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he did a transvaginal ultrasound, and I was right around five weeks, but we saw not one, but two gestational sacs forming. So all that to say, I found out within a week of finding out that I was pregnant, that I was pregnant with what would likely be since we saw the two sacs of fraternal twins. And we went back three weeks later, we saw the babies forming, we saw a heartbeat. And we just remained cautiously optimistic through the first trimester, this being my first pregnancy, you know, not knowing what to expect and having a very, like I said, cautiously optimistic approach to being pregnant with twins when it's a high-risk pregnancy and there's so much going on in the first trimester. But in our case, we made it through. I was in my mid-20s at the time and had a strong case for a maternal family history of twins. My grandmother had fraternal twins. Her mother had fraternal twins. And we just had no reason to believe that this was going to be anything than a routine pregnancy. But even considering that, I still was seen every two weeks, had frequent altered sounds. Took good care of myself, and it was the happiest time of our lives. We were thrilled to be expecting twins. We told people widely towards the middle of the second trimester when we found out we were having a boy and a girl. It was a dream come true to have this first pregnancy, to be pregnant with twins, and to be feeling so great. And that was the whole pregnancy up until it wasn't. Despite receiving regular checkups, all the monitoring, I went into unexplained preterm labor right at 32 weeks, three days. I woke up in the middle of the night and was having already close together and painful contractions. And we rushed to the hospital and they did some interventions to try to slow things down, but that just wasn't working. My water eventually broke. The twins were coming It was an emergency situation and we just, we didn't have a lot of wherewithal to advocate for ourselves. And even though both babies had been head down throughout the pregnancy, which is the main determination if a family's considering between a vaginal birth and a cesarean with twins, but baby B, my son Jackson had flipped It must have been within a week. And so once that was determined, once we knew that we weren't stopping the labor, they ran me in for a cesarean. There was very little time. And somewhere in the course of the delivery, although I won't expand further on this, my daughter, baby A, Madeline, suffered a birth injury during the C-section and had to be resuscitated. The neonatal team was in the room, of course, and was able to resuscitate her. And then they delivered my son without complication. She was four pounds at 32 weeks, which is remarkable. And my son was five. And they went to separate floors. They went to separate NICUs. She went to the highest level of NICU. And my son went to a special care nursery. And it was the best and the worst outcome for this time in pregnancy for a delivery to happen at this point. My son was on room air. He was drinking. He was drinking milk. Everything was great. My daughter, however, she was on life support. And after several days, we were told and of course got all the information that we could that the injury that she sustained was traumatic enough that she wasn't going to recover. And Madeline passed away. They were born on Monday. She passed away on Friday, May 13th. And it was devastating. It was also the day I was released from the hospital. But we, of course, had to continue to go back and be there all day because we still had Jackson in the special care NICU. And we went back every day, of course. And Jackson thrived. He was released from the NICU at about two weeks old. And through all this, I was recovering from an emergency cesarean. I was pumping, trying to get a preemie to latch, learning about what you do with a baby, since this was my introduction to motherhood. And it was really just the worst start to motherhood. Once Jackson was released everything bubbled up. We were on autopilot for those two weeks, and then we get home and we're leaving the hospital with one less baby than we came in with. And something I'd like to share that I haven't shared with many people is all the parenting decisions that you have to make despite having lost that child. We had to make decisions very quickly about cremation versus burial. We had to make decisions, in our case, about an autopsy. There was a lot of decisions to make for Madeline, despite her no longer being here, that I think a lot of people who haven't gone through that don't consider. And we were doing that alongside making decisions for our eight weeks premature son. It was just, it was very vulnerable. It was a very vulnerable time in which of course we did the best we could. Jackson was an incredible and very resilient. He was just the most resilient little baby. Did so well. He's eight years old going into third grade next week. And it was a tough year, but Jackson's obviously what got me through a lot of that getting up in the morning and doing my best to be present for him. And as you know, universally as a new mother, you have to take care of yourself in order to take care of a small child. So I learned how to do that amongst all those things. And Right the week of the twins' first birthday, I found out I was pregnant with our rainbow baby. Her name is Margot. That is, of course, the baby who you were with us during the delivery. You were right there alongside us as pregnancy after a loss is just immeasurably difficult. And I'm so thankful for that. We had such a wonderful support system with Margot's pregnancy. And so Margo came by VBAC. She came the day before the twins would have been 20 months old. So Jackson turned 20 months old the day after we had Margo. And we've gone on to have two other children. We had Amelia in January 2016. And our last son Holden was born November 2017. All, as you said, in the intro VBACs. And Madeline's loss, of course, has impacted our family. It impacts how we talk to our children about life and loss. It impacts how we refer to ourselves, whether we're talking about ourselves as a surviving family of six or a family of seven. And as shaky as my voice is, I really appreciate being able to share our experience, both for people who haven't gone through any sort of loss. And for people going through it now, I think the best thing that I can say from one mother to another is you aren't alone. And I just thank you. And I'm sure I will again throughout the episode. I just thank you for this platform to be able to do that, Nina. Oh, gosh. I mean, thank you
0: to to you and to all the other women who have shared their stories and vulnerabilities, because we all sometimes secretly have these experiences and to be able to turn to a resource where you don't feel alone and where you learn ways that you can heal and cope and learn and grow Mm -hmm. is so helpful. And if we can be any help to any families out there. We're we're so grateful to do it. And that's why, like I said before, we are beyond honored for you to share such an intimate story about your family. But we're so thankful as well because, because a lot of people aren't able to have the strength to talk about something that is just so devastating. And I can't thank you enough with that. And, you know, I want Our listeners out there who maybe if they are experiencing something like this or they they have experienced something like this and they haven't gotten to the point where they feel strong enough to talk about it or to even address it in their minds, how did you go about grieving and healing after losing Madeline?
1: Well, I mean, I'll tell you, it's been eight years and it's only recently that I've talked about it on any sort of platform And I'll say that's very normal. Like everything else in life, it's a spectrum. Some women are very private and remain that way. And some women from the moment of loss are very vocal. One thing I think is universal is to heal, you really need a safe space. And just both physically, of course, you need to be in your home, in a safe space, but also you need someone who can act as that safe space for you. And that will vary person to person. But for me, my safe spaces were my husband Denton. I wouldn't say it's unusual, but couples experiencing loss, the divorce rate is high to be honest. And I feel fortunate and I don't know what we did to have been so knitted together during this really difficult time. But in my case, we were. We are able to grieve together. And we'd be in different places of grief sometimes. Sometimes I need to be his strength, and sometimes he'd need to be mine. But with my husband, I know I could say anything, no matter how dark. And he can hold me through that. And I think it's so important to have a person like that. My other support was I... Oh, probably. Within two weeks of Jackson getting out of the hospital, I found a therapist. And it's not just any therapist, but the right therapist for you. I was so fortunate to have found on my first try the right therapist for me. And I started going to her weekly with Jackson and a baby carrier to help me process my grief. And she was wonderful to us. We've since moved from Houston where she was, but she still gets a Christmas card from us every year and sends me an email on the anniversary. She's still just an important part of our lives. But that was another space where I feel like I could say anything that I needed to say and have support through that. And especially in my case as a mother who was parenting an infant through a neonatal loss which is a unique situation. She helped me so much with figuring out what was a first-time mom problem and what was a problem that was coming up through my grief, if that makes sense. And I think that women who have to continue to parent through a loss really need that grounding perspective. Because It feels so much better to hear, this is a problem that every mother has and not just you, you're not alone in this. Or to give you that extra support because you're parenting through grief and that's just such a unique situation that you need that kind of gentle support through. I highly recommend therapy, even if in your numbness, you don't feel like you need it. I went through many months again, on autopilot, just trying to get through the day. And that I had kind of a dip when Jackson was about nine months old. And I think this is normal for hormones. It could have been a combination of postpartum depression. It could have been post-traumatic stress from the very traumatic delivery. It could be hormone. There was a lot of things, but I had a really low point when Jackson was about nine months old. And I'm so thankful that I had a therapist Who saw that this wasn't my baseline, that this was a low point for me, and helped me get the resources that I needed. In that case, it was medication for me. I don't know if I hadn't been seeing her, if my husband would have had the knowledge to see what was going on, because, you know, he's like in the trenches with me. And that really saved me in a lot of ways. The other thing that, Helps me through, and I hate saying this so much (laughs) because someone fresh might hear this and not believe it. But it's time, it just takes so much time, and you can't rush it. It's not a process that you have any control over, and it's not linear, it's not steady progress that you never regress from. And I only know that now, eight years in, and there's still days where I need to be reminded of that by other moms or by my husband, that it's not linear and it's okay that I'm having a bad day. Whereas last week I was fine. Or from one year to the next, the twin's birthday might be a really happy day for me. And then next year it might be a really dark, devastating day. And that's okay. It's just time. Time is what you need to heal from grief. And those are the two things. And I wish it was something that could be handed to someone or given to them immediately. But that's the truth. It's time and space that a mother needs to really heal from the loss of her child.
0: Ah, Such good points. And I'm so grateful that you shared those things. And actually, I would like to expand on that. So for others around you, What are helpful things that people can say to
1: someone who has experienced loss? I'll use some concrete examples. The best was an email I got from somebody who said, I don't need to know anything. I don't need anything from you. I don't even expect you to respond to this email. I just want you to know that I'm thinking of you and that I'm here for you. And if you ever need to call and just have me sit on the phone with you, I'll do that continuing from what a mother needs, that person gave me space. They gave me space and alternately they held space for me. And I think that's just the best thing that you can do. It's so isolating. It's very, very isolating. And it was very hard for me because there were people that wanted to see my newborn, but that didn't want to sit with me in grief. And I don't know their motivation or their intent behind that, but those people don't have a strong relationship with my son. The people that have a strong relationship with my son that were in it with us eight years later maybe gave some space and left something on the door, knocked and ran and waited to hold him until I was ready. Those are the people that I have the best relationship with now. And I'm not saying to avoid. A mother in grief altogether. That's not it at all. But to find that delicate balance of being there for them, but also letting them process is really the absolute best thing you can do. Things you can say are that they aren't alone. It's something that I do for moms in these situations now, if there's an answer I can't get for them or a therapist that they need, I do the Googling for them because, you know, Google's a very cold <laughs> yes, <laughs> a very cold medium. And so to wade through therapists and make phone calls about who's available or determine who is a grief counselor and who is not, those kinds of practical administrative things are like really wonderful things you can do for a new mom. My therapist Googled the loss of a multiple for me so that I wasn't going online finding out all sorts of extraneous information and connected me with an organization specifically for families who have gone through the loss of one or more multiples. Things like that, that I didn't have to expend energy to do were just really, really great. And as small as those gestures are, it's things I remember more today than I do who sent flowers or who sent a card. Just little things are the absolute best. And really, even if a mother does not have a surviving child. She's gone through pregnancy or infant loss, and this was her first. Still treating her like a new mother. Not they, You always say to a new mom, you don't ask what she needs, but you tell her what you can do. There's so much help that I declined because when they came to me and said, well, what can I do for you? I mean, you want to scream back, like, I want you to bring back my daughter. And then if you can't do that, there's nothing you can do for me. But alternately, if someone would have come with a concrete thing of making a meal, or I'm going to fold your laundry, or I'm going to be in the other room with the baby while you go in the other room and take a shower and scream in your closet, all things that I needed to do. It's such a big help. And just remembering that A mother who has lost a child is still a mother. And in the case of infant loss is still postpartum. She doesn't not become postpartum because she doesn't have that baby with her. She's still producing milk. She's still healing from a delivery. All those things, if you can find a way to support a mother through that, she'll feel seen, she'll feel cared for, and she'll feel held regardless of whether or not you were in her business talking to her or extracting information from her. That's not what a mother needs in order to feel like she has a connection to somebody in this circumstance.
0: Okay. So really allowing that mom to kind of take the lead on whether she's ready to see people or not, but just reaching out in a way, whether an email or a text or a note on her door saying, I'm thinking of you, I'm here Whenever you need me, reach out. I want to give you your space, but you're loved, and anything we can do, let us know, kind of thing. So important. Yes. So what are some things that maybe you experienced if you're okay with sharing that people should not do or things that they should not say cuz I think even the worst things that people say they're trying to say it with the best intentions they just don't think it all the way through and so what are some of those things that people should just they wouldn't have thought about it otherwise maybe but what are things that maybe they shouldn't say just so that we can be you know aware of
1: that Yes I'll say, first of all, in this situation, the impact is more important than the intent. So whatever someone's intention was, the impact that it may have hurt that new mother or that mother grieving is so much more important than that person feeling like their intent is coming across, if that makes sense. Okay. Because I think that if you go into a situation with a mother that is in such a vulnerable, grief-stricken place, you kind of have to be prepared to absorb some of that grief. And so you may say something to trigger that. And I'll tell you, eight years later, I can sort out what people's intent was. And I don't hold that. Against them all this time later. But in the moment, at my most vulnerable, I'm sure there was lashing out. Well, I mean, I'm not sure I did. I lashed out. (laughs) So you kind of have to accept that whatever you had said with the best intentions wasn't received that way and do everything you can to move on treating that mother or parent as if they were the vulnerable party and not you. Because I think that's a mistake a lot of people make in receiving a lashing out from a family in grief that they turn around and act hurt themselves or hold it against the family. And I just think if there's ever a time in anyone's life that we should hold them to the lowest standard of social acceptance it's when you've lost a child. And so with that being said, horrible things to say always start with the phrase at least. Just any sentence you can start with at least should be nipped right there. In my case it was at least you still got to bring home Jackson from the hospital or at least you'll still be ha- able to have more kids. Anything that starts with at least is going to be extremely hurtful. I call it the grief Olympics. I don't know, especially in those early fresh days, that a mother is able to feel empathy from you giving her your experience. So I received a lot of well-meaning comparisons to when an older family member died or comparisons to their own traumatic birth experience, which I completely hold space for and say, you know, you don't have to lose a child through a birth injury to have had a traumatic experience. I completely acknowledge that. But in the fresh, fresh days of grief, that's not the time to then turn to a mother and say, I had a traumatic birth experience too. Comparisons when a family is grieving just rarely give the desired impact that you mean them to. If people can find a way to empathize with a mother that's on her level as opposed to you having to bring in your own experience to it, I think that that's something that you can do to make the situation better. It doesn't make the situation better for you to outgrieve her.
0: Yeah, you feel like if someone goes through that, you want them to know that they're not alone. So you share your experience. But that's really helpful to know that, especially during those first days, weeks, months, Mm -hmm. you don't even have to say that you're not alone. Just say that you're there and offer a listening ear and stay silent and just being present and holding space in that moment, I think is the most powerful thing you can do. And when she's ready to talk about it and has that strength, you can then share that story if she's willing and accepting of listening to it. That's exactly it. That's super helpful because when I first met Megan and I, again, the tears could come any second, um, (laughs) I immediately connected with her because obviously I wasn't your doula for the births of your twins, mm-hmm. but I was there for your second daughter's birth, Margot's birth, and to meet with you and be with you during that time when you are still so raw and have experienced something so profound, but to then have to go through another experience that could trigger those things. And that's why I believe pregnancy and infant loss is really difficult because well all of it any loss is difficult but I think that it's particularly difficult because if you ever choose to have another child Mm -hmm. it's putting yourself in that situation of, is this going to trigger me? How am I going to react to this during my pregnancy, during my birth, Mm -hmm. postpartum? Am I going to be able to hold it together for this new child? I can only imagine all the things that went through your mind. And when I was meeting you, yes, you were vulnerable, but you also showed so much strength. Now that I've brought that up, when you and your husband decided to have another baby, How was that for you? And what can you tell our listeners whenever they've gone through loss and maybe decide to have another baby? How was that? And what can they do to have more support and a better experience and a healing experience from that?
1: Well, and I'll say this with all the sensitivity to the women who don't have this experience, but us deciding to have a second pregnancy and then that second pregnancy actually happening happened within a very short time, no more than a few months. And for us, that was almost better. <laughs> I don't know that I would have had that strength and resolve had that been drawn out. And I had no idea what I'd feel when I saw that positive pregnancy test again, but I'll say to take it back to the support system I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I showed Denton the positive pregnancy test. And then I went in our bedroom and I left a voicemail for our therapist. I was so freaked out. And another thing people just like to say is this is the worst thing that'll ever happen to you. It's almost like people assume, well, Megan's exempt from pregnancy problems in the future. That's not true. (laughs) women who experience infant loss go on to experience miscarriages and vice versa. And that's just unfortunately not how the world works that I'm subsequently saved from all birth trauma. And so thinking about all the things that you can go through again, I mean, I mentioned before we were cautiously optimistic, but I generally went through my first pregnancy with a lot of hope and excitement and no idea that that would be the outcome of the pregnancy. And that was certainly taken away from me going into the second pregnancy where I just assumed anything could go wrong at any moment. I remember some of it, but not all. But one thing I think it's important to say is, and I'm sure I spoke this way to you. I know I spoke this way to my practitioner. I went around just telling everybody exactly what I needed. As you know, in 2013, it was shockingly hard in the Texas Medical Center to find someone who would be back. And I was then considered high risk because I'd gone into an explained preterm labor. So I really had to advocate for myself in this situation. Really, only you can do that. There isn't like an external health advocate you can have. A doula is many things, but they're not a decision maker for you. They can't, you know, strong arm a doctor. Although, I don't know, maybe you have your ways. No, no, we are definitely not (laughs) making any decisions for you. No, no. No one's making these decisions and no one can stand up for you in the way that you're standing up for yourself. And as I talked about being in the delivery room before and not having that voice for the second pregnancy, I really had to find that voice. And I is entitled as this comes across saying now would straight up tell a health practitioner I am a special snowflake. I need all of your special attention. I need long appointments where you sit with me and tell me it's going to be okay. And that's what I went to you as a doula client. Nina, nice to meet you. I am very special and need all of your love and support. And fortunately, you could handle that. I know, especially for me, and I think a lot of mothers who have gone through a loss will relate, is when you get to that milestone in my case of the preterm delivery, it's like the train goes off the tracks at 32 weeks and I just completely lose all of my strength to myself. That's how it seems. And for me, it didn't get better with the third and fourth pregnancy. At 32 weeks, I was leaning on my doula is pretty hard about supporting me through, do I think I'm having contractions? Am I overdoing it? I was calling my doctor's office more often, and I needed a doctor that wasn't going to brush that off, that was going to walk me through that. So that's the biggest thing I could say is that going into pregnancy, part of healing is finding your voice. And really speaking up for yourself. And it's made me a stronger woman overall, because I try to go about life now with that same mentality of like, I'm going to tell my doctors, I'm going to tell the people who are in my support system, or I've hired to help just exactly what I need. And that served me well. And We moved from Houston to Seattle. So as you know, we had you as a doula in Houston. We had my amazing therapist. We had a really wonderful doctor during my first VVAC, during Margo's birth, and we moved to Seattle. We were in Seattle for about four years before moving to Portland, where we are now. And so I've gone through finding a new practitioner two times since then. And I've done the same thing every time. I tell them my story. I say, I might be calling you a little more often than an average patient. I tell the same to my doulas. I just have been real fortunate. I've had three doulas, and all of them have had a connection to me and also just a real sensitivity for the kind of work that they've done. And yeah, I think that's what's most important. I struggle to say that birth heals me because. That's like a wound that I don't know that I'll ever believe will close. But my subsequent children, and fortunately, I had three unmedicated, really beautiful, great outcome VBACs. So I, I mean, I hesitate to say that heals me. And I don't want a woman who doesn't experience that to think that she needs that in order to heal because that's not the case. But certainly in my case, it really helped me. And was just really a miracle to go on to have three children. It's so individual whether or not a woman wants to go on after this kind of loss to have more children. Or if they don't want to risk it, I understand both sides.
0: Yeah, it is such a huge decision. And I can only imagine maybe one partner being ready and maybe the other one not and yes it's, it's not just one person going through this loss it's the whole family and that can be a difficult thing to navigate and figure out what's best for that family and for your family for everyone in those moments cuz like you said it's not linear one month or one year maybe up and the other person is having a down year and mm-hmm. I can only imagine. But all of this is so helpful, Megan. And for anyone who's listening, I hope you haven't gone through something like this. But if in fact you have or are going through this, I hope that by hearing these things that you're feeling some type of connection and realizing that you're not the only one going through something like this and that there is help out there. Is there a resource that you recommend, Megan, for people to look into who have experienced this kind of loss?
1: I have found for me, the best resource is if you can find a local pregnancy loss and infant loss support group. One thing is there's public boards. The bump comes to mind I prefer a really private group where I'm among other mothers who have gone through a loss. Because, especially in those tender days, people don't seek out resources like maybe this podcast, but instead will go into a loss support group and say, How can I support a new mother through a loss? And they're talking to mothers who are, you know, days, months, weeks out of their loss and don't know how to be a resource for another person's family. That's really hard, I found when I was first seeking out groups. So the group I'm currently most involved in is local to the Northwest. And it offers a private Facebook group as well as local meetings. And having the local connection where you can either choose to see people in person or you have that closed private group that you'd hope would be safe to just go. And I mean, I used it this year on their eighth birthday, it was creeping up on me and I started to feel it. And I went in the group and said, you know, this is what I'm going through. And I got a flood of responses. Someone gave me a great grief resource. It's just, there's nothing that substitutes a community like that. And I think From my perspective, that if it's available to you, a local community is the way to go. They'll also be a great resource for a local therapist. And they usually have subgroups for subsequent pregnancies after a loss, parenting through a loss, specific to miscarriage, specific to late-term pregnancy loss, specific to infant loss. That's been the best resource as far as I'm concerned. And again, if someone's listening to this needing something to do for a family to find that local resource and connect them to it would be a great thing to do for them.
0: That's such a great piece of advice, being able to just email them that link of someone that they can call or a Facebook page that they can look into and potentially join or Mm -hmm. anything like that. That's super, super helpful. I think that speaks volumes that you're really there and thinking of them and trying to do something to help. Yes. I love it. Awesome. Well, Megan, is there any other pieces of advice or anything that you just have on your heart that you would like to share before we close off?
1: I just, I think that it's time for mothers who have gone through pregnancy, infant, and child loss to, and I know I've overused this word in this podcast, but just to take up space I know it's hard to see pictures and hear our stories, but this isn't something that is hidden and taboo in other parts of the world like it is here. And no one wants to normalize loss. It's something that you hope never happens to anyone again. But in the absence of that, I think that if you don't know someone who has experienced this loss, personally, when you're navigating social media and mother's groups, and you see someone mention their loss, or someone sharing a picture of your baby is such a private, intimate thing. Some people, my husband and I, for example, have boundaries that we don't put pictures of Madeline on social media, and we have our reasons for that. But There are many people that find healing and choose to do that. It doesn't cost you anything to support them or to tell them in the same way that you would another pregnancy announcement or another birth announcement that their baby is beautiful or that their baby just looks so loved and cared for. If you can find it in your heart to give that person the same support that you would any other new mother it destigmatizes this very isolating thing that we go through and makes it so that we can start to move forward a little bit without feeling like we need to cover our grief and people may notice that the grieving isn't so raw when we're able to do it and to feel safe and like we have the space to do it in so that's just what i'd really encourage people is I see a lot of birth accounts now showing photos of women and stillbirth deliveries or babies that are in neonatal units. And I know that's so hard to look at. It's hard for me to look at too, but to like that photo or to comment and a word of support or just to tell that woman how brave and thankful you are that they shared that child with you and to use that child's name. There's just nothing better that you can do. And you can do that as a stranger, as not even a person that's a member of their family. And I would just like to see more of that in the world. I think that it would just benefit mothers so much not just women who have gone through losses, but women who haven't gone through losses. And then maybe in the horrible event that they do, they'll know that they aren't alone and they don't have to learn the same lesson that a lot of us had to learn, which was first you're isolated and then you find your community. Right. While you're
0: going through the why me's, why did this happen? Did I do something wrong? I can only imagine how much Pressure and blame that you place on yourself when we all know that there's nothing that you could have done in that moment. No. Uh, But being able to be there for them, to help them realize that, you know, they loved their babies, they took good care of their babies, and that you're there to take care of them now, now that they need you. I totally agree. I love that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Megan, Thank you so much for joining me today and for being so brave and trusting us with your story. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode. We really hope this helps families out there and heals mothers after losing a child. We're going to be posting today's episode on our Facebook page, where we'll be honoring Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. If you've connected to what you've listened to, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you listen a podcast you can also follow baby chick on facebook instagram pinterest and of course our website www.baby-chick.com